Part of ADHD management is lifestyle modification. And part of lifestyle modification is choosing the path that harnesses your gifts and minimizes the degree to which the things that are hard for you are gonna get in the way. You must be some kind of therapist. I am some kind of therapist, and I'm about to take you on a journey through the inner wilderness. I've invited brilliant guests from all walks of life to join me as we investigate, illuminate, and inspire transformation in ourselves, intimate relationships, and the social ecosystems we are constellated in. What you are about to hear may surprise you, so hang on to your earbuds for a hefty dose of sanity in a chaotic world. I am Stephanie Wynn, a licensed marriage and family therapist, branching out and building bridges between psychology and everything else under the sun. It's my honor to have you along for the ride. Let's get started. Today, I am so excited to welcome Cindy Nar. She is officially my first Netflix baking show contestant to interview on the show. So we're going to do something <laughs> fun and light and inspiring today. I saw Cindy when she <laughs> appeared as a baker on Netflix's Baking Impossible. She was teamed up with an engineer named Taylor, and together they made an incredible team doing something that the show producers liked to call baconeering. Now, I've watched several baking shows in my life. This is like nothing you've ever seen before if you haven't seen it, because they bring together a brilliant artist of a baker and an incredible engineer and create teamwork like you've never seen before. They engineered boats, robots, miniature <laughs> golf courses, and more. Um, all the Wild. contestants were amazing. All of their creations were impressive and inspiring. But I have to admit that Cindy and Taylor were my favorite team. And so as soon as I finished the series, I thought on a whim, you know, let me just reach out and see if they'd be willing to talk to me. And I was just so excited that Cindy's <laughs> here today. So the reason I wanted to interview Cindy is because I'm really interested in creativity inspiration, resilience, courage, leaps of faith. And I just see all of those. So I'm so curious to know how someone like Cindy becomes someone like Cindy and what she has to teach us about those things. So Cindy, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So for those who are watching and not just listening, there's a delightfully colorful background. Can you tell us where you are today? I am in Roseville, California, and this is my makeshift studio in our house. And tell us about your creations. Creations in general or just the creations on the show? Well, actually, let me put it this way. So for those who haven't seen it, you make the most whimsical, magical creations in the kitchen. So um, can you tell us about some of the themes that you play around with in your work and how you discovered those? Yeah, I I like the fairy tale, you know, like make believe worlds because I don't know, I, my mind just goes there. I don't know, automatically it's it's I have a friend that says I it just oozes out of me. <laughs> I can't help it. I love being immersed in those worlds and you know, having ADHD, I get mm. hyper focused, which is a good and and a bad thing, <laughs> but I I oftentimes, you know, focus on that thing and then just I go from one idea to another to another. And I'm like, is that kind of crazy? You know what? Let's just mm -hmm. do it <laughs> and see what happens. But I love the color play. You know, I love um, creating stories with the, with my creations. You know, I, I go off of movement of the eye and energy. So when you look at a piece, like 
like I, if you notice, I do a lot of ombre, like I made that pegboard myself, but people naturally love looking at things that like blend into mm. each other, you know, and then having separations of, you know, different textures and it's kind mm. of like food. <laughs> I find that so impressive because I'm not a very visually creative person. I'm a lot more auditory and I like ideas, things that are abstract. But when I see that kind of artwork that you create, I, it's like I never could have grasped those concepts myself. But when you say texture, for instance, you know, as somebody who really doesn't know much about visual arts, I like plants and I notice when a garden has good use of texture. I never would have thought of that myself, but it's like, oh, I can see how the different shapes and dimensions here really do something for the yeah. eye. So I mean, clearly you have a talent for this. Were you always artistic? Did you get into baking first? What was your story? So yeah, I've always been artistic. I had a really traumatizing childhood. <laughs> so from the age of like three to, you know, like the first, I, I don't know what those years are, but they say that those years are like mm -hmm. the most important. Yeah. So those were really traumatizing for me. So I feel like I immersed myself in, in that world and my creative world mm -hmm. was mine. You know what I'm saying? Like I protected myself in that world and nobody could enter unless I let them in. So I feel like it was a defense mechanism for me, you know, as a child, you know, not wanting to go mm -hmm. through it. <laughs> I noticed that I think my positivity comes from being in such a dark place and going through so much. Um, I know how it feels. You know, I realized early on that I just, I, I love it. My earliest memory of making anything artsy was probably in preschool. And I remember just painting this car and I just kept painting the same car. It was really cute. It almost looked like a, a buggy and it had eyes on it. I just, and I just remember being so fixated on, wow, I created that. Well, you're talking about how for you being creative as an artist and uh, through fantasy was an escape, or as you say, a defense mechanism from your childhood. Yeah. But I, I think of it as turning lemons into lemonade. You know, we need our defense mechanisms. And right. um, there's there's this whole hierarchy of defense mechanisms from how um, unhealthy to how mature they are. And one of the <laughs> highest up on the lists is sublimation, right? Taking taking all of that and kind of transmuting it up into something of a, a higher expression. And that's what I'm hearing was taking place within you as a child from an early age. I love that you harnessed it. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I'm proud of myself for going through all of that. You know, it took me a while to get here. I'm still in therapy. Why not? But, but I, I'm all about growth. I'm all about the human connection. I'm all about things that make you feel something, you know, whether it's a piece of art or whether it's just having a conversation with someone like you, I just, I feel like an open dialogue is so important just within our lives in general. And I think that oftentimes I think in, in, in Asian culture, um, it's a little bit difficult, you know, you grow up and you, with parents that, you know, absolutely adore and love you and the way that they show you that is through work, they work. So then, you know, them coming from their generation, they don't realize that that does something to a child, mm -hmm. you know? And so the absence of them, I always tell them like, I rather us be poor and you mm. be with us than, you know, have all this money. And so I, I had to grow up really fast. I had to grow up really fast. I'm grateful though, because I still, I feel like I'm still a child no matter what. I think when I'm mm -hmm. 80, I'll still be running around painting rainbows everywhere. But yeah, 
it, it communication is definitely a, a hard issue in the Asian mm-hmm. culture. And I think it just stems from you know, my parents' mm-hmm. generation and how their parents raised them, you know, and then coming from mm-hmm. war and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. They have a lot. I, I've noticed that a lot of, you know, of my friends, parents and stuff, they all have come from PTSD mm-hmm. situations and nobody ever got help because mental health is taboo. Talking about this intergenerational trauma and it's so poignant to think about where the way your parents treated you is coming from. And Mm -hmm. it takes a lot of maturity to be able to recognize that and appreciate and forgive one's parents while at the same time owning like, and this is how that got taken out on me. I sometimes think about, you know, I don't know if your parents, it sounds like there's a lot of different factors in your ancestral history, but did they did they work their way up in socioeconomic status? Absolutely. My mom and my dad came over here with just the clothes wow. on their back. And so it's pretty miraculous just hearing my parents' story of how they went from, you know, nothing to building wow. an empire. And so, you know, my biggest inspiration is my mom. Uh, she's always been an, an inspiration of mine. Her resilience, you know, she went through a lot of abuse too. And, and I, I feel like the fact that she just kept going was a huge inspiration for me. And I, and I just remember thinking like, I, I wish one day that I'll be as strong oh, yes. as her. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. And to, to be able to be strong, but also retain that childlike innocence sounds like it's part of your journey. Yep. It's interesting because I find myself, you know, now the roles are reversed. I'm now I'm taking care of my parents. Like that's why I go back from Roseville and San Jose so much. I, uh, I take them to the doctors. I make sure their medicine, you know, they have their medicine food if my dad needs it because he's Mm -hmm. legally blind. And so it's been an interesting year and a half or two years because kind of have the roles reversed. Mm. It's just so weird. I'm like, I sometimes I call them my kids. I'm like, oh, I got to go take care of the kids today. (laughs) But I'm very proud of my parents. I'm very proud of my mom because she's had to break the you know, this cycle, I, I always tell her that my generation, we're going to be the generation that mm. breaks the cycle of the trauma. But the fact that she's open enough to be like, hey, okay, I, I do realize that something is wrong mm-hmm. with me. And it's might may just be a chemical imbalance. I always tell her that I'm like, computer is just messed up, mama, you know. <laughs> and so I've, I'm just I'm really grateful. I'm grateful for, you know, my parents who are very understanding, mm-hmm. you know, it might not be right away, they might not understand mm-hmm. right away. But they're open at the end of the day. It sounds like you're very understanding as well. Yeah. And what your parents did sounds like it was really adaptive for their circumstances because obviously, I mean, they immigrated with nothing. Then like you say, they built an empire. Are are they in a particular industry or? So my parents, once upon a time, so they started off with a uh, auto body shop. And then from there, they had no idea what they were doing, but they opened up a, a grocery store, like a Asian grocery store. I feel like with them, what I've learned is that the sky is the limit. You know, like they had no experience. My dad actually didn't have any experience in automotive or wow. cars or anything like that. He just taught himself. So I feel like a lot of, you know, my drive as well comes from them and um, humility as well, because a lot of the times people didn't really know that they were the owners just because of the way they dressed or the way that they acted. And, and I, I, I I take that with me, you know, throughout my life. It's important. And I I pick up on that in the show. You know, I, I, I was, yeah. Did you? Well, it just, you have such, um, like a spiritedness 
and just, uh, you know, I mean, you, you have to be able to dream big to take the kind of chances that you and Taylor took of like, we're going to create something that's never been created before. And we're going to trust that all the skills we've built up until this point are going to come in handy. And if we fail, we're going to learn from that failure. There's no failure as long as you're learning. There's only progress, right? And when I see that kind of strength of character, I get really curious, you know, and and one of the words that came to me when I knew I want to interview you was resilience. And I didn't know why, because I didn't know your backstory. I was just like, I was like, resilience is a part of this picture somehow. You don't get a person that strong out of nothing, right? You know, there's this concept of uh, anti-fragility. Have you heard that term? No, I haven't. So, you know, some things are fragile, like glass. Some things Mm -hmm. are not fragile, like wood, right? But some things (laughs) are anti-fragile, which means that they actually require a certain amount of stress in order to become their strongest. So like muscles are an example, right? You have to strain your muscles to strengthen them. So the human psyche is anti-fragile, right? Meaning that if you provide it with a pristine, sterile environment with no hardship and you just give a person everything they ever want, you end up with a a person who has no sense of meaning or purpose or drive who is going to throw a tantrum at the slightest inconvenience, right? (laughs) Whereas, um, you know, obviously – Trauma can lead to post-traumatic stress disorder. It can lead to some of the, let's say, character flaws that your parents had that were your least favorite aspects of your childhood, right? (laughs) But also there's that post-traumatic growth, right? And we need a certain amount of hardship to kind of push up against to test our strength. I love that you said that because I, I think about that often. You know, people always ask me, like, do you wish it never happened to you? I'm like, I mean, of course I wouldn't want it to happen to me, but I'm grateful. I feel like I'm a better person mm-hmm. because of it. I also, I was just talking to a friend about this and I'm like, it trauma is kind of a beautiful thing in a weird way. It's kind of like a lotus flower. It can only blossom from like muddy mm-hmm. water, you know? So it's that, you know, all that trauma, all the muddy mm-hmm. stuff. And then... <laughs> And then with growth and time, you know, you, you you get past it and then you become a beautiful butterfly. <laughs> and then you make beautiful butterflies and lotus flowers on cakes. Yes. And you talked about having ADHD. Is that a diagnosis that you've been given or? Yeah. Yeah. And it's because I've always had it. I just never got diagnosed until like, honestly, after the oh. show. Um yeah, be- because I when I met Taylor, I was just so taken back by like, I'm like, wow, he's so much mm-hmm. like me. You know, I was trying to behave, you know, I'm in a, like a professional environment. And I remember one time he like was playing with this, like something that was in the hallway, like, and I so wanted to do the same thing, but I didn't dare do it. And I was like, my person. And then learning that he had ADHD, I was just like, maybe mm-hmm. I do have it got my diagnosis and I have really bad major ADHD, but it's okay because I feel like I always tell, you know, parents that comment about their children who have it. I always tell them, tell your kids that it's their superpower. You know, for the longest time, my mom always, you know, said, 
and her intention was not to hurt me by the way i was i want i want to put that out there but you know she'd be like you you never stop moving and you know you just go 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 and you're like a boy that was always a thing you're always like a boy why why can't you be more like a girl why can't you be proper why can't you sit properly <laughs> and so i guess i'm just grateful that i got her stubborn genes <laughs> you know i'm like this is who i am you're gonna accept mm-hmm. me or you're not <laughs> Yeah. I mean, why not consider ADHD a superpower? It's a different way the brain is wired and it includes more creativity, more capacity for novel thought. And one of the sort of impediments of having ADHD can be that you never finish things. But clearly, you and Taylor finished things, right? You harness that hyper-focus from start to finish. And I also think when it comes to the creative Mm -hmm. process in ADHD that it's okay to not finish something sometimes. Like it's okay to cut your losses or to change your interests. Now, there's a certain amount where you have to be aware of how it's impacting your lifestyle. So if you're constantly spending lots Mm -hmm. of money on supplies for projects you don't finish – then that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Or if you're like me and yeah. you your hobby is houseplants and then you collect more plants than you can actually follow through on watering and then they die on you, you know, like <laughs> that's a problem. No! But the most creative people have, you know, started a lot of experiments and not followed through on every single one. I think some some people just need a lot of room to play. And I think you yes. and Taylor are a testament to that ADHD superpower and that part of ADHD management is lifestyle modification. And part of lifestyle modification is choosing the path that harnesses your gifts and minimizes the degree to which the things that are hard for you are going to get in the way. So before we started recording, you and I were chatting about hiring help, right? Because I've shared that um, Mm -hmm. for me, it was a leap of faith to hire people who are good at what they're good at to help me just do what I'm good at, such as editing my podcast. If I didn't hire someone to do that, I would never be able to get it done. Same thing with design services and all these other things that are either not my skill set or where uh, my brain just does not want to do the thing, right? And and so to be yeah. able to make that leap of faith, and not everybody's in a position to do that, but I think as soon yeah. as one is in the position financially to make a little bit of investment, like, okay, you know what? There's someone whose brain works better with this task than mine, or there's something that can help me automate this. Well, then I'm building a lifestyle around supporting my brain doing what it really loves to do. And you know, for me, that's yeah. like big picture, abstract stuff, talking to people, not getting into the nitty gritty of you know, the computer work and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm curious about – because clearly you have some degree of success in life. I'm sure that, you know, we're all our own worst critic and you probably are aware of all the things that you haven't done yet. But you've yeah. you've really made something of yourself, at least that the, that the rest of the world can find impressive. So when it comes to your own sort of ADHD, the, the impediments but also the superpowers – how have you just kind of rolled with embracing, I'm going to do what I love, I'm going to ride those waves of hyper-focus when I have them, and I'm going to let myself off the hook for not being perfect at everything? Pausing is really important. And, and that's only something that I've picked up this year mm-hmm. through therapy. But pausing and I think minimizing my list, because what I do, I, I have like, okay, so I have uh, anxiety, ADHD, 
depre I actually don't feel like I'm depressed, but I had depression and I feel like that is just a recipe for disaster because <laughs> your mind never stops. So, so my therapist actually helped me, you know, think about it in a way where you're making these lists and you're, you're, you're freaking yourself mm. out for no reason. So, so for one day you could say, make your list smaller and say, if I get this done, then I can relax. Then I can do this. Then I can do the fun stuff or whatever. Well, it's always fun, <laughs> but um, that's definitely helped me manage things. I think for me, the biggest, I would always lose my kids <laughs> when I was younger. Always. Like every, all my friends are like, did you lose your keys again? <laughs> like they, I'm known for losing my, my stuff. Um, so, so I built in my mind, I would, I would say every time I leave, I have to say phone keys, wallet, phone keys, wallet. And so I did it so much that it's automatic. It's automatic. And I, and that's what I strive to create for myself because although my brain is very complex and all over the place, I crave structure. I really do. You see it in other relationships that I'm in. You, it, like people are complete opposites of me that I, you know, I gravitate towards. Like, I think that definitely helps. It's just. Uh, I love the shortening your to-do list. I started this article series once that I never finished, which is ironic, uh, but it was called The ADHD Ripple Effect, and it talked about how the consequences of ADHD can lead to things like social anxiety and depression. You know, one thing that I see a lot with ADHD is guilt and shame, right? It's this, yeah. nobody knows better than me how many things I haven't finished all the loose ends I've neglected, all the, you know, all the consequences that this ADHD has created in my life. Everyone around me experiences the consequences to some degree. I've upset people. I've let people down, whether that be my spouse or my boss or whatever, right? But nobody knows better than me just in t how long my backlog is. And so it can yeah. create this overwork, right? This, well, I'm so behind. I can't afford to take a break. I have to just power through because I've wasted too much time already. That's a common thing with ADHD. Another one I see a lot with ADHD, trauma, and or anxiety is that there's a heightened sense of urgency that impairs your ability to see what is actually urgent, right? And then that sense of urgency, it applies to everything. You're explaining my life. <laughs> So I, I think, I mean, I just love that you described finding that coping mechanism because that's exactly what I recommend. You got to let yourself off the hook and pause enough yeah. to slow down to realize that that sense of urgency is just partly that inner anxiety and that that sense of urgency does not belong to everything in your life. In fact, half the things on your to-do list are probably not essential and maybe they're like mm -hmm. supposed to be for fun. You know, maybe you have something on your to-do yeah, list yeah, yeah. that – oh, I really wanted to read that book because my friend said it was good. Well, then you're looking at your to-do list feeling, oh, I haven't read that book yet. Wait a minute. That was supposed to be in my free time. I don't I don't deserve to have that on a list of things that I feel guilty about. Yeah, I, I think what's important is educating the people around you. You know, I always say your tribe is your vibe. And, and if, I mean, I don't want to say it's like, if they love you, then they would accept you for who you are. But there's something in that, you know, like sometimes I will explain to my significant other or to my mom, because to her still this ADHD concept, she doesn't understand it. Like, she's just like, no, you're lazy. You know, you're, you're this and you're that, you know, and it's like, I'm sorry, I can't explain it to you. I tried, but it is what it is. mom. <laughs> and, and I, I try to explain to her that it's, 
for you to organize this room is very easy, right? You're like, okay, let's get it together. Let's clean. For me, I have a hard time organizing things. I oftentimes will have piles. I'll have piles of things around the house. And Jason always says that it's like, you could just see the storm. You could see that my path and where I came. But I, I think edu just educating the people around you and say, hey, you know, if I do this or if I snap, I, I really don't mean it. Just let me know. Let me know uh, what works for you so that I'm not, you know, this doesn't escalate and I'm, I'm hurting you because I don't want to hurt you. And also educating people about your triggers. I think that's super important. You know, it, it it's your triggers. It's not theirs. But but if you let them know, they can, you know, not tiptoe around it, but they could it could be easier for them, you know, to, to understand, oh, okay, so she actually really isn't a B. <laughs> you know, she just got a little frustrated and has anxiety and, you know, she just needs to breathe. And I think so, that's yeah. healthy. It sounds like a nice blend because it's not too internal or too external, right? So, you know, some people internalize yeah. everything. Everything is their fault and they never utter a harsh word. They never express any anger. They never ask anyone for anything, right? And then on the other side, you have externalizers, yeah. right? People who lash out, don't take any personal responsibility, and just demand that the world cater to them. And what I hear you finding is that healthy balance where you're saying, this is my responsibility. It's not anybody else's. But at the same time, I'm surrounded by people who care about me, and I can make some reasonable requests. Yeah. Yeah. Growth. We're all about growth this year. <laughs> All right. So so back to your story, though. I mean, you talked about being creative from an early age. You're giving this example of this car you used to draw when you were really little <laughs> and you loved the world mm -hmm. of fantasy. So how did you evolve into this brilliant artistic baker? So it's going to sound so dumb, but I did uh, during the Cake Boss era when, you know, Cake when all boss. of that started. Cake Boss, like it's, it's a show. On, I think it started on Food Network. And I just saw the things that they were able to create. And I I was just so enamored by the concept that I was like, I want to do it. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm the type of person where, you know, it's my mediums are not limited to just cake. I think when I'm passionate about something, I see something, I want to learn how to, I want to learn how to do it. So then I completely dive into it. I think the cake thing stuck because of the human connection, the people that I met that have a lot of my clients have become my friends, family. And I I didn't realize that that was going to be a huge part of why I stuck with it so long. You know, I'm sure my family and friends were surprised, like, wow, she actually stuck with something and is not, you know, like not doing it and then quitting. And so that I've learned. So the human connection is what kept me in it. And and I didn't realize how much of a, a baking nerd that I am. And I, I'm fascinated by being able to control a substance like like flour and eggs and water if you add more butter then it you know it reacts in this way and and um, I think honing in on that and actually really enjoying that process I I gained confidence through that because you know people are constantly telling you you know oh my gosh your stuff is good it's delicious you know please don't ever stop baking <laughs> because I think with sweets everyone has a preference, right? And so when you find kind of that level of sweetness that you really like, it's hard to like go to other places, you know? And so it's all those things. And, and, but mostly I would say the human connection and the relationships that yeah, I built. So started with an inspiration from TV and you just follow that. And then, yeah. and then you say that human connection element, which I, I never would have guessed, right? But, but that you're getting that, that support and reinforcement from your environment, you're getting 
people asking for more of what you're giving. Yeah. And, and something that to know is that, you know, birthdays and celebrations are like, you know, big parts of our lives, right? It's all the little moments that become big. And so I feel a great honor um, to be able to ha- like, how I think about it is, you know, that one cake that everyone stopped to sing happy birthday to for those 30 seconds, everybody is focused on that one thing. And I think in today's society, it's hard, you know, it's hard. Everybody's on their phones and stuff. And, and just for that minute, or just for those 30 seconds, you know, everyone is together as one. I know that sounds kind of hippie, but I love it. I love the fact that I get to be a part of that. I don't often get to be there to, you know, to watch that, but I have been, and it's, it's a beautiful thing. I love that you brought up that point. Um, Something related has been on my mind lately, which is just how with the pandemic, we've really gotten out of the habit of celebrating milestones and everything feels so unceremonious, right? When you're working from home and everything is online, staring at a screen, time has no meaning. It just all kind of blends together. It's really the rituals of daily life and of annual life, right? It's rituals that punctuate time. And I think the closer we live to nature, the more we kind of feel the seasons, we feel day and night. People have different degrees of structure. Like if you have children, then that definitely creates a structure, a rhythm to your life. And and it makes you stop and acknowledge those, those moments to celebrate with your children as well. But I think for many people, things have become... I want to say unceremonious and there's a sadness to that. I like that. Yeah, it's it's actually really sad. And I always tell people I think that um the government should uh you know give everyone free therapy for at least 3 months <laughs> just to talk about it. You know, this is not something that's normal. I think a lot of people are, you know, shy or embarrassed to think I'm not okay. I don't want to say that I'm not okay because I'm going to look crazy, but I feel like because the pandemic, you know, stretched for so long, I find myself not wanting to go out, staying at home, but it's because my home and what I do here, it's like my, my safe haven. I have, I have my sanctuary here. And I, I, and I know that that's not the same for other people. Um, I have a friend, I remember during the pandemic, she struggled a lot. She, she got married the first, like, couple months or year she wasn't able to be with her husband you know he had moved to another state and she rented a room so she was doing everything in there eating you know work all of it and so at some point it's almost like cabin fever you know like you feel crazy and so I'm very grateful that I have this space and um, the freedom to, to be able to do it but I think it's something important to talk about you know to let people know that they're not alone like it's okay That's beautiful. And when you talk about those 30 seconds that everyone's together, just focused on the moment of the birthday cake, you know, I hear something really special in that. I also hear that your work is a celebration of the ephemeral. I mean, cakes, by definition, stop existing shortly after they're created. And and I think, (laughs) I mean, just imagining if everything you ever created was permanent, There'd be a museum's worth of stuff, you know, that people could go and look at. I so I, I imagine that it, it takes something extra and I, I don't know what it is, but but to embrace having an art form that is so ephemeral. Can you talk about that a little bit? 
it's funny. I have a relationship with my cakes because I spend so much time on them. There's days that I spend on creating these um, characters, you know, and I, I get really invested in them. And I feel I feel a part of my heart and my soul leave when I have to give it away. Sometimes I'm just like, ah, I give you away, but I love you and it's okay. You know, I, I just think about how much happiness that it's going to bring them. And I'm like, okay, fine. <laughs> But I, I, I do think that it's an interesting concept, but the fact that you even brought it up, I don't think I've ever thought of it in that way. But I do get a lot of the times like clients saying like, I don't want to cut it, Cindy. Like, it's so pretty. You took so much time on it. Like, maybe we'll just cut a slice <laughs> and we'll keep it for a couple more days just to look at it, you know? But yeah, I don't know. I, I, I love the concept of, you know, it being like enjoyed for a certain amount of time and then it's gone. It's kind of like, I don't know what, 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 like, it's life? kind of like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thank you. But yeah, it's every, every moment is fleeting. And I think that's important. You know, I think uh, we're so, you know, focused on other things that sometimes we don't really take the time to like be present in the moment. And, you know, instead of like filming it, like, it's funny because oftentimes when I'm with my best friends, we don't ever have pictures and it makes me so mad <laughs> because I want these memories with them, but we're so focused on each other that we forget, we forget to take the pictures and, and you know, that's okay. That's okay. But, but yeah, I feel like it's important. You mentioned the element of time and I was really curious about that because one of the thoughts that kept coming to mind when I was watching the show was I, I bet that doing this sort of thing changes your sense of time because you would be given these chunks of time. And, and maybe you can t give us the breakdown of how they actually divided the time. Because I was like, do they get lunch breaks? Do they, yeah. you know, do they get to rest? But, uh, and tell us in a moment, right? But I was, you know, just as a, as a naive viewer, my thought process was like, if this is a 12-hour project, let's say, and they built a freaking miniature golf course out of edibles, I mean, you you accomplish things in a day or in two days that we would think would take months. And and it makes me Absolutely. think of just how much time there really is in a day. And I say that carefully because I don't want to be one of those people who's encouraging people to feel like they should be able to get more done in a day. I think we already feel enough stress about that. But I was just wondering, like, how does – Doing this kind of work change your relationship with time? I remember coming back from the show and like I had some orders and stuff and I just remember doing them so fast, you know, and, and I and and I'm like, dang, it definitely changed my mind in terms of organization because it's very important on the show is to prioritize certain things. And so it kind of relates to life, right? You know, I I don't want to, you know, do that as well. I forgot what you said that. I don't want to pressure people into thinking that they have to hustle, hustle, hustle. But uh, but when I do have like motivational like talks with my friends, I'm like, you know, if you really think about time, so there's 24 hours in a day. Let's just say you have eight hours of work, eight hours of sleep, and then the remaining time, you know, like what would you want to do instead of it being a negative thing? Like what could you actually get done in this time? And how amazing of a thought is it that if you just dedicated a week full of that slot of time to actually doing what you want and prioritizing yourself first and then you know everything else that matters to you i think it's something that i struggled with for a really long time and i and i think that just 
reminding myself that you know it's blame game you're so right what you're saying you're like, <laughs> it's like you want to do so much but you know that you only have a certain capacity and and something that my therapist was talking about that made so much sense to me is your cup you know I'm the type of person that sees, you know, the cup half full and I'm always pouring into other people's cups, not realizing that I emptied my own. And now it's so empty that it, it and dry that it's cracked. Now that I'm trying to pour back into my cup, mm-hmm. there's a leak in it, you know? And so, so I, I think about that often. And so, so I am very careful with, you know, what I put my energy into and if it doesn't serve me or if it doesn't, if I know that it's going to, you know, take away my energy I will I'll oftentimes you know cookie crumb or avoid it (laughs) but but see I don't know if it says it the right way but your energy is your currency Mm -hmm. time is something that you can't get back and I always say that and 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 I think that's why I'm comfortable being not comfortable does that make sense like more yeah like being comfortable not being comfortable yeah like financial people always talk to me about that all the time they always say you have so much potential this and this and that and I'm like but I but the time that I choose to spend with my family the times that I choose to spend making the things that I love like that's what makes my life and that's fulfills me I don't need that money you know like I don't need all those things of course you need money though right you need money to live so finding that balance still working on it but I think I'm I think I'm getting there I think I'm getting there yeah I mean time is your actual experience of life and when we when I hear people talk about you know your cup right and giving to others and making sure that your own cup is filled I think that Sometimes that kind of conversation would lead people to think that what's being recommended is that you kind of conserve your time, that you don't overextend. But but I think it's especially mm-hmm. fascinating that you're talking about conserving your energy for what you want it to do and at the same time really having this very optimistic and expansive sense of how much time actually does belong to you. I hope you've been enjoying this episode of You Must Be Some Kind of Therapist podcast. If you like what you're hearing, now's a great time to like, subscribe, follow, rate, review, or share. You can also support the podcast by visiting sometherapist.com slash shop, where you will find goods and services I have personally curated to support your well-being and enrich your life. We're just building the shop, so check back periodically and feel free to suggest recommendations. All right, now back to the show. So when I was in culinary school doing baking, I had this experience. I got into a really, really bad car accident. Um, my my car hit a pole and then I did the barrel roll. Uh, and then I thank goodness, thank Buddha, every, any God that will hear me. Um, my car landed on, on its feet. So that was such an eye-opening experience for me. I had like that near-death experience. And and after that happened, um, I just remember it's so crazy because everything is slow, but fast at the same time. You hear all the metal and the glass and stuff. And and in this moment, I saw a film strip of my life. I felt I saw, you know, a video of my sister being a baby and like crawling. And, and so basically it was like my life was set out before me. And I thought that. I was going to die. 
because my the, your the nose of the car was literally going into a hill yeah. and like turning. And I remember two things. I remember thinking, I can't believe I'm gonna die this way. And like, God, please don't make it hurt. And so after that happened, I was like, you know, you haven't done anything yet. You haven't done anything that you want to do. You know, like at that time, it was just, I think I got out of high school. It's been a year. And then I was in culinary school. <laughs> and so that was, that was a huge, huge thing that happened to me that changed the trajectory of my life, I would say. And then I was like, all right, I got to do wow. this thing. <laughs> I didn't know that yeah. we were going to get into near-death experiences today. My life is crazy, girl. <laughs> wow, that's so interesting. So, I mean, you had that that classic thing that we all hear about of your your life flashing before your eyes. And in that moment, you well, the fact that you survived that moment really made you value yeah. your time and I just get the sense of like now is the time. Now is the time to live my life yep. and pursue what brings me joy. And it just seems like I just see this like relentless, unapologetic, I'm, I'm going to do me. I'm going to follow my joy. Yes. And I, I wasn't always that person. I was a huge people pleaser, but I think I had to go through that. And I think I had to learn all those lessons and, and you know, it's, it's okay to relearn lessons. I've realized that it's okay. You get invested in people, you give, you give to people. Sometimes you just make the mistake of giving too much or, you know, not, seeing red flags when you see them but I but I think that relationship with yourself is important you know just having I noticed that like having positive self-talk the affirmations have um, completely changed my train of thought you know in the morning or like just any time really just being positive and I I had such a negative um, inner dialogue for for the longest time and I, I I will say that I still have it you know but I'm a lot better at at it because I think it goes, don't, if I'm, if I'm wrong, I'm sorry, but <laughs> um, it goes, uh, we are what we think. All that we are arises from our thoughts and with our thoughts, we make the world. I'm trying to say, it just, it shows in the way that you carry yourself. It shows in, you know, the people that you surround yourself with. It really starts from here. And, and I don't think people realize that like, I am on the journey of self-love. I think it's going to be a lifelong thing, but I think that, you know, being on a show like this has completely changed my mind on how much I can affect people because, you know, I love my friends. I love my family. I am who I am for them and for me, but I didn't realize that just being vulnerable on a show could touch so many people. And I think that, oh, I don't want to cry, but I think that that's something um, that has like really, really moved me. And sometimes people just need like that positive, you know, vibe. And sometimes people just need to know that, you know, it's okay mm -hmm. to not be okay. Mm -hmm. You know, I think we're, we're our own worst enemies. We always beat ourselves up the worst than anybody else could beat you up, you know? And so when I get all these letters from people that tell me like, there's this letter that uh, this girl's like, I've been depressed for, you know, this amount of time. The first time I've ever smiled was when I watched the show. <laughs> but you know, stuff like that. And then the little kids that are like, you know, that asked me actually, they're like, I'm in, you know, I'm in school right now. And my mom says, I, I can't do this. And I can't do that. I'm like, what, what is your advice? And I, and I think that that's not something that I realized was missing, but it was definitely like 
the piece to the puzzle, you know, because I never knew how to integrate cakes and the human connection because that those are the two things that I'm really passionate about. It's just creativity in general and connecting with other people. Like that's that's what I love. And um, and I think that I, I think that I'm I have something here. And so I, I'm really taking the leap of faith. Please work out. And I'm, I'm going to see where it goes. <laughs> So I hear in that Buddha quote that you shared, the the power of your thoughts, right? You have these negative thoughts sometimes just like anybody because you're human, but you're not going to let those define you. Mm -hmm. And you also recognize that thinking is a creative Mm -hmm. act and that you can forge new ways of thinking to help you overcome your fears. Um, But without further ado, I mean, you talk about the power of human connection. (laughs) And of course, I wanted to ask about your relationship with Taylor because I have rarely seen a more dynamic duo. And and to be clear, you and Taylor did not know each other before you were introduced on the show. No. And that's why I was just like, wow, I feel, I almost feel like it's a little unfair with pairings. And, And people have said that as well. But he, he's, he's, He's my person, you know, like Grey's Anatomy. Like I have, I have a lot of those people, but he's just, he is so respectful of my field and, and I the same to him. So I think that that's something that, that works and um, something that him and I are passionate about, you know, actually with him in the engineering, he's, he's trying to bridge the gap. It, just within his career, he's like, you know, I, I realized like with robots and humans, like it's kind of scary, right? You know, you have the I, the the movies that are like, they're going to take over the world and stuff like that. And so it's important for him to create that feeling or that idea for, for the world to see. Like his cheese, his grilled cheese machine. <laughs> when, when he told me about that, I was done. I'm like, wow, I like you. Um, but our relationship it stems from that is honestly just being respectful. We, him and I could be talking about like all day. We could talk about politics to relationships to family to just random things, talking about how much we love fruits. He loves fruits, you know. <laughs> and um, I, I think I think our superpower or maybe our the secret ingredient would be that we never did anything on the show that we both weren't mm. passionate about. So I I had plenty of ideas about other things, but then Taylor would be like, oh, I don't know about that. And I'm glad to have somebody, you know what I mean, say, say something, because in my creative process, I don't have anybody to bounce my ideas off of. And so that's that's. I think that's something that was really important for us to just love the idea, be invested in the ideas that way that we're, that way we're putting our all into it, you know? And so we're both happy. <laughs> You said that it was almost a little unfair, and I can understand why you said that just because you and Taylor were so amazing together. But at the same time, I mean, who could have predicted? I don't I don't know what strategy they used, if any strategy, or if they just threw people together at random in their selection of pairing one baker and one engineer per team. But I mean, who who could have guessed, but you and Taylor just really made such an impressive team. And so I hear you talking about the power of respect in your collaboration that you both really just respected and appreciated each other's relative expertise. I think there's also some other elements to the synergy that I I don't know if I could put my name on. And I I have to ask, I'm sorry to be one of those people, but like I never knew the meaning of the word shipping until (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) I, me either. 
I feel so much cooler now that I know <laughs> what it is. And it's funny. I just, I did a little Q and A. I do those often uh, on my Instagram and, and it's always a question, you know, like, and it's always a statement, like we ship you guys. And like, like there was a question yesterday that said, um, how do you feel about people shipping you? <laughs> and um, I said, I mean, like, so are you saying that like you put us in a box? Is there food? Is there <laughs> oxygen? You know, are we talking USPS, DHO? Like, yeah. <laughs> just being playful about it. And and it's one of mine and Taylor's favorite things is just playing off that idea. Because I think people, when they watch a show, they get invested in our personalities mm -hmm. and who we and you know the whole mm -hmm. shipping thing we want right. it to happen right is that yeah is well right? I mean just from an outside perspective and and for listeners who aren't hip on the lingo like an older crowd who's never heard the word shipping shipping is basically when when you see two real or fictional characters and you you want them mm -hmm. to be in a relationship right so so just for the background here like yes as an outside perspective, there's like this chemistry between you and Taylor. And it's not like an overt, like sexual romantic chemistry. It's just, wow, those two oh, click no. and complement <laughs> each other so beautifully. They make such a great team. They're both young. Are they both single? And then, you know, after the fact, we find out, no, you're not <laughs> single. You're taken. Um, of course, I'm curious if your significant other was jealous at any point. Yeah. So, so Jason, right there. He was completely, you know, supportive of our relationship and us being close. And he, I, that's what I love about him is that, I, you know, he doesn't say that you can't hang out with this person. Or you, he knows who I am. He knows my soul. I'm a very, I'm very much a soul person. And if I connect with you, like you're, you're a lifelong friend for me. And, um, and I think that special thing about Taylor and I is just, you're right. That synergy. I've never met anybody so like me that, that when it's okay. So let me just give you a little, a little backstory on Walter, the watermelon. <laughs> you know how we came up with him? We didn't like we, so we did an exercise of, um, okay, let's take five. Taylor came up with this. He's like, let's take five minutes and you write all the things that you love or ideas. And then I will write them. And watermelon was definitely one thing that we both like love. He loves fruits. And, um, I mean, watermelon birthday party i have watermelon things everywhere you and taylor have so and many bizarre so, things in common like you love pickles we are so bizarre you love pickles and you don't like cars i mean they're the best sorry just got a comment see but no no it, thank you and but sh but that's what that's what i love about our um i guess our synergy is that you know the story you a lot of people don't know the story behind walter but i during the pandemic i picked picked up gardening because I was losing my mind <laughs> and you know and my friend had it, yeah see and then my friend had started a um, like a watermelon seed thingy and then so she gave me a plant and then I grew it I named her <laughs> Wanda and so you know Walter like I just we just started talking about that and he was like what if Walter is like her love you know oh okay okay so what's gonna happen oh what if she gets picked and Wanda's gone okay okay you know and so like that's that's the dialogue and I love it I've never met anybody so easy to uh bounce ideas off of you know and I think it's important that we do, like, we're not judgy of each other at all mm -hmm. and that's like super important respect and, and the judgment it's just like maybe you might not like that idea but that's mm -hmm. really cool you know and so we 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 always encourage each other I miss that he's like you know I miss the I miss the like Cindy you know you're great at this and then me you know hyping him up and and saying you know we can do this we're good we're great 
we it was a, an accomplishment for us to even make it halfway we said if we, oh sorry we we said if we make it halfway then we're good we can go home happy you know and so um it's funny because the pickle car we were actually we totally thought we were gonna go home we were we were actually a little bit happy because we did we 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 don't like cars we're not passionate about it right and so when we stayed taylor and i we were just like well crap well now what do we do you know how do we make something a car a huge car that is gonna be you know important to us and like send a message and it's like wow the wheels the hubs can be pickles oh my god the steering wheel could be pickles i could do a dill pickle you know uh air freshener we could have a fermentation station you know and so it, it was so fun it was so fun and i would just say that that's also the secret ingredient is that if it's not fun and it's too uncomfortable we were just like no, let's let's get back. Let's get back to the fun zone because that's the zone where we actually mm. thrive in. And um, and I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that because sometimes in my cake world, sometimes I stress out and stuff. And and I didn't realize that you could probably see it in my work. Maybe not the, a normal person, mm. but for me, I could see that like, oh, I was really loose this day. You know, like I let my ideas flow. And then there's days that are more rigid where you know sometimes clients are like, I need it like this, and I need it to be exactly like that. And so mm. you know. There's there's different plays on, on on my creativity, but yeah, I really I really love that, and I miss it. I just wish I could have him here in my pocket, and we could just throw ideas back and forth together. But so, how often are you and Taylor in touch? Um, we we talk often. We're we're like mostly Instagram, you know, like like a story, or we'll send things to each other. And so, um, he he actually is closer to me now, um, closer than LA. Or Pittsburgh, he's in San Francisco, so I haven't, I haven't, I haven't mustered the courage yet to drive to San Francisco, but I will. But he's come down to visit me. I just, I'm scared because one time I drove the wrong way, and it was really. You was also a, almost died in a car accident. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So I have a reason, and, and so, and so. I'm gonna be brave. I'm gonna drive there. I'm gonna visit him because he, you know, he made the effort to visit me, and it was really fun for my family to meet him. See, we were filming little videos for people, like for, for our fans that, you know, sometimes they would ask us for videos for their loved ones for a birthday. And so we sat there like filming things for other people. And so, you know, mm -hmm. it's easy. And, and it's as simple as that, it's easy. We enjoy each other and mm -hmm. he's an amazing person. So tell us about that kind of expansiveness of, cause I, I just hear a lot of expansiveness and a lot of saying yes to possibility, right? So I hear, that you have this partner who's really affirming of like, you have this incredible relationship with this other person and you're spending all this time with them, bouncing ideas off each other. And you have this fan base that doesn't know about me and wants you two to get together. Cool. I support you. That's like really expansive and optimistic, <laughs> right? And so too is the synergy between you and Taylor of, wow, that's a crazy idea. Let's go with it. And, and at the same time, you have structure and you actually execute plans start to finish how do you stay in that optimistic zone and also keep things grounded? I would say that we definitely used each other as support, you know, like if we're feeling down, I'm a very aware person. So I, you know, if I sense at all that he's feeling a little uncomfortable, like, hey, are you okay? You know, like, what can we do? What can we do to get back on track? And, you know, I, I remember, you know, this thing, me saying, 
like I think it was the oh wait I can't talk about it at home I don't want to give it away but there's a certain episode where we didn't do so well yeah can I say that (laughs) and I just remember thinking okay we're down it's okay it's fine you know like fix your crown (laughs) Tay Tay fix your crown we're we're okay and and um and I think just almost faking it I know this sounds so bad but faking it till you make it that's my good one actually and and because because if you do I realized that if you do something or you try something enough you're eventually mm-hmm. gonna get there it just may take you a lot of time you know to get there and or it may not but um just the believing that you can and if and and I think for me I'm comfortable in failure because I I've mm. failed so much and and I've I've become honestly a smarter mm-hmm. person because of my failures yeah. you know like you know to not make that mistake again because you made it and it was really, really bad. But I tend to have an issue about festering on, on you know, my my mistakes and my defaults. And I and I learned how to change that narrative in my head is is that, you know, it, no, it's a good thing. It's a good thing that you fail because now you're better at it. You know, now you can now you can look at it from a different perspective. And sometimes it's happy mistakes. Sometimes I discover new things by making those mistakes. And, and I don't know, I don't know how to. Well, and that, that also kind of reminds me and brings me back to one of the things about being a trauma survivor and anti-fragility is you realize when you've learned, when you've lived through certain things that other things are like nothing, right? You're like, I, I survived this, that, and the other. I can survive being embarrassed because I got something wrong. (laughs) <laughs> I can survive, you know? Yes. And and you know what I, I've learned too, and especially this year I put it into practice, is that we, our perception of what happens to us, like you can change the perception. So somebody can say some messed up stuff to you. You have the power within yourself to change that. Like if somebody said something bad to you, you could just be like, thank you, you know? And then it completely changes the, the mood, the vibe. And I feel like energy, to me, everything is energy, right? Everything is constantly moving. We're, it's just, everything is flowing. And, and I, and I believe that, I truly believe that if you put out that type of energy into the world, you're going to get it back 10 times fold, you know? Yeah. I, I, I think that even if you don't feel good, of course, give yourself some time. You know, I, my practice is I give myself either 10 minutes or a day, depending on what happened to just be sad be sad soak Mm -hmm. let out the tears and then after that it's like okay no all right let's move on you know and I think that that's important and then once it's Mm -hmm. practice and then you feel good about it you're like okay this works you just gotta try that that I I think a lot of people are afraid to go there afraid to feel their feelings because there's a sense of if I go there there's just this bottomless pit it'll never stop and I actually think that's a really good strategy that you just and you talk about structure, right? Give yourself time and space to have your feelings. In fact, create the right environment to support it. Just like you would, you know, if you were going to work on a project, maybe you'd clean your desk first and put on a good playlist and make yourself a a cup of coffee. Mm -hmm. Well, similarly, if you're going to have your feelings, you know what, like put on the right (laughs) playlist for that, make yourself a cup of tea, get a fuzzy blanket, get your box of tissues, create the right setting, go into it. And yeah, and then there is a process of emerging from that and like, let's get back to it. That's the resilience. And, you know, another thing I've learned kind of along the lines of what you're saying when it comes to self-acceptance, like you were saying, if someone criticizes you, thank you. 
you know, um, <laughs> I have my own inner critic to contend with. And one way of thinking that's been helpful to me lately is this kind of, so what? My personality comes with its trade-offs and everything mm-hmm. there is to mm-hmm. love about me comes with its own downside, just depending on how you're looking at it or depending on the context in which that trait is coming out. Like I can be really obnoxious in some ways, but <laughs> but like if I weren't obnoxious in those ways, I also wouldn't have the courage that I have to do some really good things that I do. I think nowadays a lot of people are afraid mm-hmm. to have a personality because in some ways and this might sound strange, but from my perspective as a mental health professional, I think our culture right now kind of like fetishizes mental health. Cancel. Yeah. Well, I have things oh, to say on cancel okay, culture, okay. but we don't need to talk about that. But like, like we, there's a fetishization <laughs> of mental health. You know, everything's yeah. a label. Everything's a diagnosis. And yeah, there's value in working with diagnoses in certain contexts. But there's also like, like I wrote this Twitter thread recently that's like, you know, I don't have an anxiety disorder. I just worry sometimes. I'm not depressed. I'm just taking some time to process something that happened to me. I don't have autism. I'm just really geeky about the things that I like to geek (laughs) out on and I don't have much of a filter. You know, it's like, let's just, let's just calm down. Yeah. Reframe. And and it's okay to own that you have a personality. Like some people think I'm autistic sometimes because I'm blunt and I'm, and I'm smart. And I'm like, no, I just choose to be blunt. <laughs> like I see what the social rules are in the situation. I see what you're expected to do. And I just think it's dumb. And I'd rather just be me. And yeah, I'm also really geeky. And like <laughs> I am all for them. I'm all for that. I've been trying to tell my friend, um, one of my BFFs that I'm like, I think I'm a little autistic. <laughs> No. And she's like, no, <laughs> you're not, Cindy. You're not. It's a social thing. And blah, blah. I'm like, okay, whatever. It's fine. And and I real I, I I found myself getting into that, you know, mode of like, okay, I need to know that I need to find the answer of why I do the things that I do. Is it because I'm, you know, ADHD, this and that, and depressed? And I like, I love that you said that because something that I've been working on with therapist is reframing, you know, reframing that self-talk. She, I remember telling her like I'm, I know I'm sorry. I'm just an anxious person always saying sorry. And then, and then she, and she said, no, because once you, de- once you decide, once you label yourself as an anxious person, that's who you are. Right. You, so it's a final thing. No, you are a beautiful person trying to work on her anxiety. Mm-hmm. And, and then, you know what I'm saying? And so I love, I'm so grateful for her. I'm so grateful for you guys, by the way. It, people in your profession, you could have chose all <laughs> profession in the world and you choose to speak and help you, you know, and I and mm-hmm. I admire that oh, a lot. Thank you. <laughs> and I'm I'm always encouraged when I hear stories of people who have had a really good therapist because pe- I hear people's experiences all over the map. You know, I've heard I've heard people who will never go back to a therapist yeah. in their lives because of, you know, so like <laughs> I love hearing those stories of when you found therapy really helpful. And I'm imagining that that's yeah. maybe part of why you agreed to come talk to me. You know, I, I just love I love this. I love the dialogue of talking about when I found out that you were a therapist and the podcast was called like, you, you must uh, be some kind of therapist. Yeah. It I actually was just like, yes, right away. I was like, yes, I want to do it because I love talking about I wouldn't, well, mental health in general, but I just love um, mm-hmm. picking brains. I love the brain tickles. Yeah. I call them brain tickles. And and I didn't realize this, but it, it takes some skill to open up mm-hmm. your mind 
and see things a certain way or like and I, I find that I I'm more present and I want to listen to understand instead of mm-hmm. listen to respond. You know, I think that that's something that that I've learned is that everybody wants to be heard, you know, and then oftentimes when you have those mishaps and stuff, it's because they didn't feel heard. You know, I didn't feel heard for a long time in my life. And so I think everyone's fighting a war. I think everybody's, you know, has their own demons to fight, you know, just be a nice person. Energy is so contagious, you know, Throw some <laughs> sunshine on people. I love your positivity, Cindy, just radiating (laughs) outward. So tell us about what you've been up to since the show. um, I've been trying to actually move away from cakes, Um, not necessarily like, you know, move away from making them, but more so of like, not really selling cakes or doing that, but making them for content purposes. And so that I can share it with way more people than I can in my, you know, in my small San Jose or Roseville group. And, um, and, and I think being on the show has made me realize that I could have a positive impact. And, and if I just impact one person, it'll be all worth it, you know? And so I'm trying to get into that. I, I love things that spark joy and, um, I'm completely obsessed with tools. Like I just love (laughs) the cool tools and I want all the tools, but they're expensive. And I make, I make tools because, and this is something that has been in practice since I first started because I didn't have money um, to buy all the fancy tools. So I would, I would make things out of stuff around the house, you know, and, and it works, it works. And, and that's something that I also want to put in the videos. It's like, it's okay. It's okay. If you don't have the money to do it, there's a toothpick and that will do the same thing as the other, you know, $20, you know, (laughs) machine. And so I've been I love that yeah I just like I'm really super obsessed right now with customization and so like I can show you really quick um like this is a big thing people keep asking me when are you gonna post it on your Etsy and I'm like I have ADHD I'm trying my best um so so like I make these spatulas this one isn't painted yet they see how it's a unicorn and like they have engraving I can engrave them with anything this one says dream big uh just creating just really cool stuff. You know, I've, I've been in the cake world for a while and I remember, um, you know, there are some nights that sometimes it isn't fun, you know, and, and, and I know that if I had this watch <laughs> and I was working on the cake and I'm like, I love the colors and it makes me happy. I, I, I'm all for it. And so, um, I'm all about being unique and just creative in general. So I love being able to offer that you know, and, and giving a piece of my, like, heart, essentially, anything I make, it's like, I made these with my hands, please <laughs> love it. <laughs> and so I'm going that route. And then also, you know, the YouTube thing and the content thing, I'm really taking a leap of hate, of faith, I'm really scared. But it's okay, because the worst that can happen is it doesn't work out. And then I can just, you know, there's only one way to the <laughs> rock bottom. I love that. So, so you're just getting into um, creating more content. I know. To, I think you have a big Instagram following, but you're just getting started on YouTube. Yeah. So I've actually had YouTube for a while now, and I had like I have like these three videos on there that I've attempted to edit myself and do. All, and that's those three videos or two videos. Like that definitely is what discouraged me from continuing because it was so difficult. Like I didn't have the money to pay for a program. So then I, I, I downloaded a free program and I had to, there's a learning curve, you know, I, 
especially I'm really challenged in like all computer stuff. So it was really hard for me to, you know, just teach myself. But once I taught myself, I was like, okay, I think I can do this. But it still took away so much time and so much energy for me that it just wasn't yeah. fun anymore. And, you know, there's a fine line between the fun zone and then the, you know, and, and so I realized that just like you, I'm like, I have to, I think I have to hire people <laughs> to help me. And so I think I'm going to take I love that leap of faith <laughs> for you. And uh, I did look at your YouTube and they're really quick videos. Have you thought about um, getting on TikTok? So I do have TikTok. I, I made like a couple of videos on TikTok and then I got discouraged because I didn't know how to use it. <laughs> and so I'm fight. I swear I'm, I'm fighting myself and, and it would just take me one day of focus to actually really learn it. Right. I mean, there's YouTube tutorials there's mm-hmm. tutorials on everything. And so I think I'm making up that excuse, but it's just, I think anything new and uncomfortable is going to be well, sometimes away. with ADHD, you avoid something for six months that'll only take two hours. And yeah, that's me. I mean, <laughs> and sometimes you just got to accept that about yourself. Sometimes you got to push through it. And sometimes if you have even the slightest bit of a resource to invest in some help, I mean, there are people on Upwork charging 20 or $30 an hour with, you know, the skills that you might not have that you can just record whatever content you want on your phone and they can make the TikToks for you. But I, I know exactly how you feel about TikTok. Yeah. It's not my medium either. I it's, just I just want to see you out it, in the world also- because you have such a gift, right? And obviously Netflix made it possible for the rest of us to see that. Yeah. I'd love to see you succeed. Thank you. That means a lot to me. I think I think I need to let go of the perfectionist in me. And I think that that's my idea is that I can't put it out unless it's perfect. Mm. I can't put it out, you know, and that's yeah. not sustainable. I I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. And so I think that's something that I want to put in my videos is, is me losing my train of thought. You know, oftentimes it's like, I want to be like buffering <laughs> when that happens, but it, this is the real me. I don't feel like mm-hmm. I should hide it. You know, I think that that, I think that would be almost unfair to my audience to be like, oh, she has it all together when she. Well, when and I the don't. perfectionism serves its purpose. I mean, your your work is very exacting. Your final <laughs> products are perfect. I know. And I understand, like, I mean, when I started, when I got into blogging, I just had to let go of that. And, you know, earlier we were talking about time and I've gotten the feedback. I mean, I, I have nothing to compare my own creative process to, but my partner will observe me and say, you know, you can bust out something in three hours mm-hmm. that would take someone else weeks to write. And so for me, it's just that hitting publish and finding the emotional strength to tolerate the fact that my inner yeah. critic will find flaws and my audience will find flaws. And there are going to people who, there are going to be people who hate follow me on the internet to find <laughs> every flaw and suggest that I, you know, it's always. like, but, but yeah, at some point, always. and that's why I said earlier that that mental reframe about I just have a personality and like diagnosis or no diagnosis, my personality comes with this certain set of flaws. But if I didn't have these flaws, I wouldn't have the strengths that are the flip side of that coin. So I just got to put it out there into the universe. And another thing about being a creative type is that most artists (laughs) go through phases. You know, I go through phases with my writing Mm -hmm. and podcasting where I'm really interested in a certain topic and then I move on. And I'm sure with you, I mean, your work from an outside perspective has some cohesive themes that come across, at least on Netflix. But 
But you're going to go through phases and some mm-hmm. of them are going to shock your audience. They're going to be like, I can't believe Cindy's doing that. What about that other thing that we really <laughs> loved her for? But that's part of what makes – that's what that's part of what keeps life interesting, keeps you on your toes. Yeah. And you're going to violate people's expectations because you're not some cartoon character, two-dimensional cutout of a human being. Yeah. I think I have to like reel it in and – because I remember in the beginning when, you know, I was just getting a following and people, you know, messaging me and do, I felt the need to answer everybody, every single person. And I realized it was taking so much of my time and like mm-hmm. so much out of me. Instead, my, my therapist was like, you can read blanket statement. <laughs> you know, like you can write like I read them all, but I can't respond to them all. But it's kind of funny. Like when you say the haters, um, I haven't, I don't think I've ever had a hater, but, but there was one person there was one person where my account actually got blocked and um, it was through a client of mine where her, her account got hacked. And, um, and so I was, it was like a war girl. I was like, I got in and then they like locked me out again I got in, and they locked me out again. And it's funny because I, when I thought that I got in, it was done. Um, I, I made videos. I made video stories about, okay, y'all, if this happens to you, I'm okay. I'm gonna make a video on it. This is what you do, blah blah blah. And then I realized that they were watching. They were watching the videos and deleting wow. them. They were deleting the videos. I know, so crazy. And I think there was just one person that, and and it, it popped up as I was looking at my phone. It said something along the lines of like, "What do you know to help?" You know, like it was it was really just. And I don't know why I chose to to answer. <laughs> You're like, actually, I know a lot. <laughs> I did. but it was interesting to me because I think it was a girl uh and she seemed like a younger girl but she said you're on Netflix you're not allowed to be a B I'm allowed to be whoever I want to be you know but it just goes to show you how much power you have when you don't let it affect you absolutely it affected me in the time that I was responding to her but then I chose to step away from it and I think that's powerful I've been trying to teach my mom that I'm like it's power that you don't let people get to you, you know, like you can, you can, you can be upset, but the fact that you can say, okay, this has happened to me and I can, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Look at it in a different way or it doesn't bother me. It's so powerful, you know, cause you're now you're living your life for what you want to do. And that, you know, instead of other people's ideas or, um, you know, standards and society standards. It says something about human nature and something about the internet that even you was you're famous for making really cool cakes. Like you're an <laughs> artist and a baker. There's nothing really controversial about that unless maybe you're like a hardcore vegan who's upset that you use dairy or something. Like like so even something as fun and uncontroversial as what you do can be met with at least one, <laughs> thankfully just one hater on the internet. Right? Thankfully. But but it, it takes it takes so much more work to create something than to tear someone else's creation down. And I think that whenever whenever you reach a certain level of shine in the public eye, right, there's just something in us that wants to tear people down to our level when we're not living up to our own potential. You're such a resilient and fun person. I had so much fun interviewing you today. Is there anything I forgot to ask that I should have? I think trauma survivors and you know pe- people that struggle with PTSD and something that I'm learning right now is I didn't realize this but I, I separated 
myself from the little me that went through all of that. And so I'm, I'm now working on bringing it back together. You know, that like, it, it's interesting because I would always like, I had gone to court for something that happened to me when I was younger and randomly I would pull that transcript out and read it and almost like mm. re-traumatize myself. And I realized that I think the reason why I do that is because I don't want to forget little Cindy. Like I don't want to, I want her to be protected. I want to make sure that she's okay, you know? And, and I have to come into, I have to come to terms that like, I am that person, you know, like you are, it's not little Cindy. It's that's you. And so, yeah, I think I'm still working on it. I'm a work in progress, but I, I think that that's a um, interesting thing mm. that I've learned this year. Yeah. So from compartmentalization to integration, now that you're at a place in life where you have the maturity and the resources and the freedom to be able to welcome those parts of you back into the safe life that you've created for yourself as an adult. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your story. It's been so delightful. Uh, where can people find you? Mostly Instagram, but I also have all my links on my Instagram. So the YouTube, my um, Cindy's Little Cakery, and I'm most excited about Etsy. So follow me on Etsy, guys. I know I have nothing on there yet, but mm-hmm. I will. I will have and some stuff At soon. Instagram, is it at Cindy's Little Cakery? Oh, yeah. Cindy's Little Cakery. Everything's, yeah, everything's Cindy's Little Cakery, mostly. Okay. Cindy, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you enjoyed this episode of You Must Be Some Kind of Therapist podcast with Stephanie Wynn, LMFT. This podcast is produced by Eric and Amber Beals at Different Mix. Special thanks to the talented musician Joey Pecorero for our theme song, Half Awake. At SomeTherapist.com, you can find more information on any topic, guest, resource, product, or service you've heard of here today. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram at SomeTherapist. If you would like to ask a question, suggest a topic, be a guest, or invite me to speak, you can email us at hello at SomeTherapist.com. You can also send us a voice memo with your question, and we just might play it. Of course, just because I'm some therapist doesn't mean I'm your therapist. This podcast is not a substitute for medical advice. If you need help, ask your doctor or browse your local therapists online. And whatever you do next, please take care of yourself. Eat well, sleep well, move your body, get outside, and tell someone you love them. You're worth it.